Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latina Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today in the studio is Dr. Felipe Hinojosa, who is visiting Ohio from sunny Texas. Felipe Hinojosa is an associate professor of history at Texas A&M University. He serves as the director of undergraduate studies in the history department and as director of the Carlos Cantu Hispanic Education and Opportunity Endowment. This is Felipe's second episode. Bienvenido. Thank you. It's great to be on again. Uh, this is not your first time in Ohio. Talk to us about your connection to this state. Um, it's a deep connection. Uh, and I think it has everything to do with my family's story. And it has everything to do with the, the history of labor and migrant farm workers in the state of Ohio. Uh, my mother's side of the family um, were migrant farm workers in Michigan and in Ohio, Um, and so they were up here in the late 50s and early 60s picking tomatoes in northwestern Ohio mm-hmm. um, and fell in love with the place, I think, to, to some degree and ended up staying in Ohio for five or six years. I have some siblings that were actually born in Ohio. Mm-hmm. I have a big family, five sisters and one brother. So, um, you know, a, a few of them were born here. And Ohio was the place where my father left his life of vice and <laughs> drinking and uh, all of that and uh, became a minister mm-hmm. and found the gospel. And, and uh, you know, so Ohio holds a special place. And I remember as a kid taking road trips up here to visit my primos and primas and my tios and tias up here uh, and always just being very impressed at how beautiful just mm. absolutely beautiful it is here uh the lawns were always pristine there were no <laughs> weeds in the grass you know there weren't any junk cars on the street i mean it's just incredible and uh it was something that this little texas kid had never seen um and i was always jealous of my cousins that were that lived up here because it's so so beautiful mm-hmm. uh and they developed different rivalries than we did, right? They, uh, Ohio State and Michigan rivalry. and um, <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, one of my uncles uh, became a, a fan of the Green Bay Packers of all teams, uh, although there's still a strong connection to the Dallas Cowboys, which I'm, I'm, I'm glad about. Uh, <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, my history to this state runs deep, uh, and it's, you know, coming to Ohio is like coming home. Mm, great. And then you come right now at a perfect time, right? It's fall and it, it does. It is, I think, even more beautiful. The weather's beautiful. <laughs> right. It's gorgeous right now. It's sunny and yet it's cool. So it's great. Great. Uh, Felipe, much of your research is documenting the Latino religious experience and activism in the Midwest and beyond. You do this from a history or historical lens. Tell us why this is an important aspect of understanding how religion has shaped our community. I mean, I think I always start with the fact that religion is, I don't even know how to say this in a way that makes it, uh, you know, uh, strong, sound as clear as it should. It is the central focus of Latino culture, of Latino identity, faith, religion, mm-hmm. Catholic church, 
the Pentecostal church now uh, mm-hmm. increasingly. Uh, religion is ubiquitous. The symbols, the art, the way people think about ethics, the way people think about behavior, what they should or shouldn't mm-hmm. do. So, so central. You might not ever step foot in a church, <laughs> but faith and religion are central in the home. Um, you know, there, there's a popular refrain we say constantly, si Dios quiere, mm-hmm. uh, God willing, uh, over everything. There's a deep sense that um, we are uh, led by a higher power in Latino culture in a sense that we are not uh, always in control of our destiny, that, that God is leading and directing us in one way or another. Um, and so to be able to sort of tell that history, I take a diff- somewhat different slant. You noted the historical part um, where I'm not as focused on belief or theology or doctrine. Mm-hmm. I'm much more focused on the kind of intersections between religion and how it intersects with society and, and what people choose to engage with politically and how people form community as part of uh, the church and as part of their faith. So, uh, you know, uh, um, I'm I'm a Chicano historian. I'm mm-hmm. a social movement historian. And so, you know, wanting to be able to tell the stories that came out of faith groups that care deeply about improving their community. Mm-hmm. That doesn't deal so much with theology, but that's okay. I don't, I'm not a theologian. I don't mm-hmm. answer those big philosophical questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm much more oriented towards grassroots activism and the way that faith has shaped these movements in the Latino community. Right. Um, and so your first book about Latino Mennonites was, you know, one of the first books ever written that pays close attention to this particular community. When I talk to my students about that, there's always a, a surprise look in their face, right? Because when we talk <laughs> As there about... should be. <laughs> right. Um, and then the connection to Ohio and the Midwest and, you know, all of that... Um, there's always this big like ah oh, you know like what like not Catholics or or Baptists right, right um right. and um and so I talk to them about you know that historical presence of uh, Latino Mennonites and then we go and read you know part of your 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 book your one of the ch- chapters and um and it really is refreshing to to think about you know that other aspect or how um um maybe wide uh, the experiences of Latino religion and here in the U.S. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that, about uh, specifically Latino Mennonites? Yeah, so uh, I think that's an appropriate response, by the way, from your students. <laughs> what, what, where, yes. why? Um, and I mean, listen, I grew up in South Texas. I grew up going to a Mennonite church. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my entire experience is people looking at me like, Mennonite? What is that, first of all? <laughs> Second of all, that kind of sounds like men of the night. What kind of sectarian <laughs> cult are you a part of? I've never heard that. <laughs> um, it, it, it sounds like you're part of the Miller Light Church. I think that's really what's going on. It's a beer festival. Uh, no, n- none of that. And the other part of it, too, being so close to the border is that there are a lot of ethnic German Mennonites in Chihuahua and mm. in Mexico that mm. wear a head covering, are very conservative, still speak German or low German. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, during the middle part of the 20th century, left Canada and the United States to go to Mexico because of its liberal laws in terms of education. Mennonites could essentially start a commune 
and be an insulated community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you have now is a generation of Mennonite, ethnic Mennonites in um, – and by that I mean German or, or Russian descent mm-hmm. – mm-hmm. um, you know, you have a whole generation of Mennonites in, in Mexico who are Maria, first name, Jose, first name, <laughs> and Weeby is the last name, or Friesen, mm. some sort of Germanic descendant last name. Um, so there, there's a lot of misconceptions of that. To be clear, the group that I write about is um, not the kind of insular Amish mm-hmm. community, right. which I always get confused uh, with which is fine. Um, the 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 group that I write about is the group of Mennonites that became much more Americanized. Um, they valued leaving their ethnic roots. They valued a kind of shared sense of Americanness and whiteness, even mm-hmm. uh, in the United States. And part of that whiteness meant evangelicalism. It meant going out and converting those folks that were perceived to be lost. And that in many cases were Latinos in mm-hmm. urban areas and in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's sort of a phenomenon that you get to deep South Texas to <laughs> a farming district in a, a small town of Mathis, Texas, about two hours south of San Antonio. And here are all these white Mennonites from Ohio, from Indiana, from Nebraska, from Kansas, nurses, trained nurses, uh, healthcare workers, uh, missionaries that came to Mathis at a moment in the 1940s and the 1950s, uh, and this is a large part of the book, uh, that really, um, you know, to, to a part of Texas that had high infant mortality rates, that had high rates of tuberculosis, that was really in public health crisis. And here are these Mennonites who build barns and, you know, help people get better, establish a maternity clinic. They take a kind of ethic of care and practice it among Latinos and they also bring them to church and mm-hmm. convert them and and they become part of this Mennonite church. Well, you have Mexican Americans in South Texas that are like these white folks are different than the white folks that are mm-hmm. that live here and don't want to talk to us or that segregate us or that move to the other side of the street when mm-hmm. they see us walking down a sidewalk. Um, and that was a new experience. And I've always sort of marveled at that. There's a whole generation of Latinas that became nurses because of that example hmm. of the Mennonites. Uh, white Mennonite missionaries would go out and pick cotton with Mexican Americans. They had never seen, you know, that that was it was so it's such a different experience. Hmm. Um, and I became fascinated with that not only because I had grown up with it, but because I wanted to sort of talk about the narrative of what it is when a group of Mexican Americans and Latinos in general leave Catholicism and become part of a different religious orientation. Mm-hmm. Typically, we think of that as people that leave their culture or that don't want to be Mexican-American anymore, mm-hmm. don't want to be Latino. They're sellouts. Mm-hmm. They want to be white, all of these things. And what I found in this Mennonite story was a much more complicated right. story because the more Mennonite they became, in essence, the more a part of the Chicano movement mm-hmm. and a part of the Puerto Rican movement uh, that they began to associate themselves with. So I was really fascinated with that. And I thought that it threw a wrench in our whole understanding of religious conversion and religious politics. And why not tell it through the lens of the Mennonites, right? I mean, uh, 
when you're a graduate student, the most important thing is getting done and getting the dissertation finished. <laughs> and for me, it was growing up in the Mennonite church. I knew where the archives were. I knew how to get in touch with these people to interview them. I knew where they lived. They knew my dad. So there was a, uh, I was sort of an insider. Mm-hmm. All of that contributed to the fact that in the world now, there is a book called Latino Mennonites. And I think that's pretty, <laughs> pretty, uh, Pretty special, pretty oh, incredible. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You have recently co-edited a volume coming out next year on February on Latino religious politics. Can you tell us what's unique about this volume? I'm so, so happy you asked. I'm so excited about this new uh, project. It's set to drop February 2022, New York University Press. It's called Faith and Power, Latina and Latino Religious Politics Since 1945, There's really nothing else like it, uh, to be honest. Here was the pitch. The pitch to NYU Press was, we don't want to get people that are already in religious studies or theologians Mm -hmm. to write about Latinos and religious politics. There's plenty of that. If you want to study liberation theology from a Latino or Latina lens, you can do that. There's plenty of literature on that. What we don't know much about are the historical movements. And historians study change over time. We don't know how we came from uh, a movement of social reform in the Catholic Church uh, to liberation theology to a more conservative Catholic Church or the rise of uh, evangelical groups within Latinos. Um, And everybody seems to always point the finger. Anytime Latinos are conservatives, they say, well, you must be evangelical. You must be (laughs) non-Catholic, right? So – you know, the pitch to NYU was we want to get historians. We want to get people that don't typically write about religion, but in the work that they've been doing, they've been so compelled by the evidence mm-hmm. that they've had. They've they're actually been forced to write about religion because <laughs> it's so central. Mm-hmm. So we found people who uh, never imagined themselves writing about religious history that uh, haven't been able to stay away from it simply because of the work that they do. Um especially in the Deep South and in the Midwest uh, are areas where we've seen it even more. Um, So we invited some of the top uh, historians, Latinx historians in the country to come together um, and contribute to this volume to really set the terms of the debate, to really sort of um, fashion a uh, Latino religious history that gets at these complexities uh, the history of Mormonism, mm-hmm. uh, the history of uh, Pentecostalism, the history of Catholicism, not only its engagements with um, clergy and people of the cloth, but also with social activists, with mm-hmm. the movements, uh, the immigrant rights movement. How can you talk about the immigrant rights movement without talking about the church and religion and people of mm-hmm. faith that have been so central to it uh, over time? That's not a new phenomenon. Um, that's the story of uh, religion in America. It's a story of providing orientation to immigrants. It's a story of uh, helping them adjust to life in the United States. And then later, especially for the children of those immigrants, the church serving as a platform to launch civil rights movements and to join uh, the Chicano movement or Mm -hmm. the Puerto Rican movement of the 60s and 70s. That's what this volume does. Uh, I'm going to be, you know, quite confident and, and, and cocky about this, this volume for a long time. You'll hear me talking about it a lot because 
there really isn't anything like it. And I think it's going to really um, uh, get people talking more about the significance of faith. And I'm mm-hmm. not just talking about, you know, a church building or a theological position of the church. I'm talking about um, everyday formulations of faith, the way that activists think about faith, the way that the success of the United Farm Worker Movement was not simply about uh, wages for workers, uh, although that was a huge part of it. A big part of it was also uh, elevating the cause to a moral cause, not mm-hmm. just one about labor rights, but one about ethics and morality and how we treat each other uh, and how we treat the least of these in society. Um, so I love that we were able to pull it off. I love that it's actually <laughs> coming out soon. Uh, I'm so excited. We got people, uh, we invited people to write uh, in this book that years ago told me they would never write about religion <laughs> and would never see themselves doing this kind of work. And uh, I think I think everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised. And, and frankly, I think everybody's going to be hooked. I'm very excited. Great. I can't, I can't <laughs> wait to, to see that. Is there, uh, with, with this uh, volume, uh, were there any... Um, Maybe lesser known religions or, you know, uh, uh, historical connection with a particular religion. You mentioned Mormon, Mormonism, you meant, you know, obviously Catholic, evangelicals, but within the evangelical church, there's so many, you know, different sort of traditions, right? Um, was there anything that stood out like, oh, we hadn't, I, we hadn't really talked about this? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And that's a great question. I, I think I would, uh, Suhei Vega, who's a scholar mm-hmm. at um, uh, Arizona State, uh, wrote a great chapter on um, Latinas in the Mormon Church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just up at BYU, um, you know, a, a few weeks ago, and the significance of Mormonism within Latino culture, I don't think I was as aware of mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of its long history and its significance. Even though I've had fa- I have family members that that are Mormon, um, I think we're going to be really opened up to just new and different possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think about, you know, other chapters and other works in the book that, yes, while they're dealing with Catholicism and evangelicalism, which is more sort of traditional, um, we're getting to know new people and new activists and new scholars. Uh, people like the Reverend uh, Roger Granados, uh, who was a major, major leader within the Presbyterian Church mm-hmm. for housing rights, um, for civil rights, uh all over the place. You find mm-hmm. him in San Francisco. You find him in Texas. He was everywhere. This is a person that I think is quite significant that we know almost nothing about. Um, and I'm hoping that looking at religion is not going to only illuminate the religious experience, but it's going to help us to to realize just how, and I'll borrow one of your words from earlier, mm-hmm. just how wide mm-hmm. uh, this freedom movement really, really was and how significant um, you know that it was. But yeah, I think in every chapter you're going to find something new. I don't think there's anything that that people are going to be uh, bored with. I think there's going to be something that that folks are going to be uh, learning from for for years to come. And is it as varied in uh, location, like geographic? Oh, uh, absolutely. Ab- yeah. No, no, that was really important for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that, uh, of course, the traditional Southwest mm-hmm. and and Texas and California are in there. But there's Midwest. There's a lot of Midwest, um, you know, with uh, Sergio Gonzalez's work up in uh, Wisconsin and Yuridia Ramirez's work in the Deep South. Mm -hmm. And not only looking at, 
Latino Catholics, but also indigenous communities mm -hmm. from Mexico and Central America that have made it to North Carolina mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and have formed part of the kind of Catholic church social movements there. Uh, so it's quite significant. All of it really is in, in, in making sure that we try to get uh, a, a deep and wide covering of religion in America. Now, having said that, are there limitations? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And our hope is, as with any project, that these limitations will spur on new research and that young, confident, brash, young historians <laughs> will come back and... For volume two. For volume two. And <laughs> we'll make it even better. Great, great. So I know one of your upcoming projects is writing about the Latino freedom movement. How does this connect with your previous work? Well, it's very connected. I mean, I think in thinking about the Latino freedom movement um, writ large from New York to Los Angeles, thinking about um, just how varied it was, just how different You think about East Harlem in the 1960s, uh, a majority Puerto Rican community. Um, that's very different than a movement in South Texas and Crystal City mm -hmm. in 1963 with a young Jose Angel Gutierrez trying to get political representation onto the city council, um, which had never happened before in Texas. Um, so, you know, when, when, when I write about religion, I'm writing about disparate figures. I'm writing about multiple stories. I'm writing about multiple cities. I'm, I'm looking across time and space in trying to tell uh, uh, at least the best I can a cohesive narrative of these movements. Mm. And what you find in religion is that, and this goes for the church as much as it does for scholarship, as soon as you walk into a church that is predominantly Mexicano, it doesn't take very long for that church to turn Latino Uh, in a number of years, right? Mm -hmm. Salvadoreños, Guatemaltecos, Nicaragüenses, Caribeños, Puerto I mean, folks that are simply looking to hear Spanish, number mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Number two, are wanting to gather in community with other folks, even though belief systems might be a bit different. So religion, in studying religious politics and the movement, is very, very difficult for me to just stay within one ethnic group, within mm -hmm. one sort of ethno right. um racial group uh, uh, of, say, just doing Mexican-American history, which is what I'm trained in. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of that, I think, in, uh, across these, the, the, the work that I've done, um, the question that has continued to surge for me is, is there a Latino freedom movement? Can we talk about a cohesive narrative of Puerto Ricans in New York City, Chicago, Uh, Cleveland, Ohio, mm -hmm. or uh, and Mexican Americans in LA, San Antonio, uh, Houston, and South Texas. Um, I don't. I mean, the, my, the answer to that question is I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's very episodic. It's very divergent. It's very diverse. Um, you can't just talk about brown power because there were many Latinos, especially Puerto Ricans, that came to black power before they came to brown power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I like the challenge of being able to try and narrativize, um, a story and I'm not interested in trying to sort of come up or find links where they don't exist. I think mm -hmm. my main, uh, I, I, I'm okay with the ruptures. I'm okay with the breaks. I'm okay with the distance. Um, you know, and that's what I'm trying to deal with in this sort of next project, which is very new. 
in trying to say when we think about the African-American freedom movement and the African-American struggle, this is not just in the Deep South. This is not just Mississippi. This is national. This is a mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and also a global uh, phenomenon. Uh, I think the same goes for the Latino freedom movement. Um, and I think there are a lot of really fantastic historians and scholars that are already taking this up and 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 uh, you know doing excellent work in trying to see what does it mean to be Latino mm. uh, because I think that's what our students are asking today. Mm. Where's my movement? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we talk about the Black freedom struggle, what were Mexicanos? What were Puerto Ricans? Cubanos? Dominicans? Central Americans, what were our people doing doing during this time? And is there a national movement? Um, and is it just Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta mm-hmm. in California, right. Right. as significant as that movement was? Um, but what is sort of the larger story? And I think I, I, I think about it in terms of, you know, a lot of it is coming out from my previous work in religion, but it's also what the students are asking today. Right. And that's one of the things that uh, makes it exciting to me when we find um, examples or information about a particular Latino movement or presence in places where you don't necessarily think about, right? Um, or less. Uh, we typically tend to think of the Southwest or New York and Florida, things like that. Uh, places like that um, as that presence or where everything exciting in the Latino (laughs) uh, history happens. And so when I am able to show students, you know, little small cities in the Midwest where there is a huge Latino presence or this, you know, is particularly significant uh, in relation to the Latino community, um, uh, I mean, it's exciting for uh, for me, and I think it, it brings a lot of sort of reflection to my students to think about the deep historical presence of Latinos in, you know, small cities in Ohio or, or in Indiana. Um, but also for those students that are part of, you know, Michigan, um, Indiana, Ohio, where people don't think typically mm-hmm. about that experience to see this themselves reflected on those histories is is really powerful to yeah. think about and, and be and acknowledging right that that experience is different it is different yeah. um and um so i'm always I mean, i'm excited to hear you talk about it because hopefully you find you know, places where things were were happening where we don't think about, like, I don't know, places in Wisconsin. Just I think about yeah. all these cold states, right? Right, right. <laughs> where we don't dip, typically think of Latino presence, yet there, there was a big sort of, you know, going back and forth. I know I had family members, too, um, you know, in, in Mexico that would come up north um, to, to, to work um, in the fields and then and then. Uh, go back home, and so that there was that, and you know, you know about this too. Um, so it would be interesting to see how in places, you know, where we don't think about like North Dakota, Wyoming, what was happening there? Is there something? Is there a connection there? Um, so anyway, I don't know if that's something that you're thinking about too. No, I, I mean, listen, Latinos and Latinas in those areas are asking those same questions. They're wanting to find a sense of themselves mm-hmm. because we're all longing for home mm-hmm. in one way or another. And part of making home is creating or at least finding 
yourself in history and joining a particular story. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that with everything that I do, and I think this is the hope of all of us that that do this work, is that what we write will help connect with students that are searching and longing for that. It might not be people you recognize, but maybe there's a way that you can connect in one way or another. Mm-hmm. I think what's special about Latinos is that, you know, we go to different places and we might speak different Spanish and different variations and different dialects. But it's incredible to me that as soon as, ¿Hablas Español? Do you mm-hmm. speak Spanish? Yes. Wow. The smile, the mm-hmm. eyes, everything changes. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think it happens especially in the areas that um, that you noted where people are rarely seen, where people are rarely acknowledged. Um, and I think what Latino history does is it brings us a sense of our um, participation in this nation. Mm-hmm. It centers us as being central to the making of American democracy. Um, and I think it it elevates us to a point of saying, you know, we've not just been marginal figures in this story. We've been quite central in in national politics and probably even more importantly, local uh, and, uh, you know, state politics. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's even more important these days, right? Thinking about the significance of the local, thinking about the ways in which we get involved um, with uh, local politics, whether it's a school board or whether mm-hmm. it's city council or whatever it may be. Um, Latinos and Latinas have always been about that. And, you know, yeah, I'm hoping that within with this next project that we're able to kind of see ourselves as part of that political project. And I have to mention, I mean, just yesterday we elected f- f- uh, three Latinas here in Columbus for uh, uh, two for um, the Board of Education and then one, the first Latina in city council. And I think, um, you know, in, in places like the Midwest and, and, and other more maybe remote areas, um, we're still in the firsts, right? The yeah. first Latina, the first Latino, uh, not to, which sometimes makes it seem as if we're a new, we're newcomers. Right. Uh, but it, it tells, uh, uh, maybe a deeper story, right? Of, why is it that it's 2021 and we're just now having our first Latino, which is a great celebration. I celebrate with, I know all of this women and, and I celebrate them. But it's also uh, telling of how hard or how much we've had to wait to right. have somebody that looks looks like us being in, you know, representing us. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's powerful. And I think it's a powerful testament to the years of organizing in this state and at the local level, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Felipe, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation? Um, well, you know, it's great to to be with you in person, Elena, yes. and to be able to do this. Um, what else can I add other than it's a real privilege for me to be talking uh, to you uh, about this? I think the platform you have here with Ohio Habla is so... With Latino Story, sorry. Latino Stories? It's a new one? Did it change? <laughs> yes, it changed the name. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, uh, uh, it's a great name. I love it. Uh, with Latino Stories, um, you know, to be able to do this, this is where it starts. Mm-hmm. This is the first draft of history that you're writing. Um, and the hope being that people will use this as a kind of archive mm-hmm. to be able to tell those stories of, of Latino Ohio uh, in the years to come and of a national mm-hmm. uh, story. So 
Yeah, this is exciting. It's 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 great to be with you here in person, and and uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation in in a number of different ways for sure. Thank you. A todos gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. 